Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. You guys can go and have a seat. And if you have your Bibles, go and open up to John chapter 15. Uh, We are approaching about midway um, in our series uh, going through John 15 verses 1 through 17. Um, I've really enjoyed this one so far, uh, specifically because it it is spending a lot of time on uh, pretty much one specific idea, and that is what what does it mean for us to abide um, in God? What, What does it look like for us to be in pursuit of God and to have God be in pursuit of us and and what does that look like when those two things meet each other in the middle and that's what abiding is um, and we've talked about the fact that there are several things that that need to happen in order for abiding to even be possible um, Jesus has to be in the picture um, that's that's a no-brainer uh, we we as a church well I say it's a no-brainer um, we would hope that it's a no-brainer for, for some churches. They, they might not incorporate Jesus um, as the center of it, but everything for us revolves around the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, it's him that we're lifting up. It's him that we're worshiping. It's him uh, who, who has done all things. He, he has created all things, sustains all things, upholds all things. Everything's created for him through him and by him and so we literally lift up Jesus in anything and everything that we do and so to leave Jesus out of the equation means that it's impossible for us to abide in God um, so Jesus is is in the mix and then we moved on to talking about the idea that um, in order for us to abide in God knowing that Jesus has come he's come to do something very specific and that thing that he came to do was to redeem sinners and bring them back into a relationship with God. And the way that he does that is through salvation. He comes in and he saves us. He, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so Jesus has to be in the picture. And not only that, but Jesus has to save us. He has to, as Colossians 1 talks about, he has to come in and transfer us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. You cannot abide with God if you're not in the kingdom of the beloved son. When you're in the domain of darkness, you are separated. Therefore, abiding cannot happen. And so Jesus comes down and he saves us. He seeks us out of the domain of darkness and brings us into his kingdom. And in that place, we are able to abide. And when we're in that place, one of the things that proves that we're in the kingdom of the beloved son is that there's a response in our hearts and in our minds and in our new identity. And that response is we want to be all about Jesus. We want to know him. We want to read about him. We want to meditate on him. We want to talk with him. We want to tell other people about him. So there's a response. There's a new affection that comes into our lives because he's given us a new heart, a new identity. And out of that identity flows the actions and the thoughts and the affections that we have that prove that he's actually transferred us from one domain to the next, that he's actually brought us in. And what that one ultimately looks like is our pursuit back to him. 
So he pursued us in the domain of darkness and brought us over. And because he brought us over, now we're in that domain, in that kingdom of the beloved son. We are chasing Jesus. We are after him. We are pursuing him. We are all things we want you. We want you in our marriages. We want you in our relationships. We want you in our families. We want you in our workplaces. We want you in anything and everything that is your design that we see in the word. We want that. And so we're going to be in pursuit of that. We're going to be in pursuit of learning the knowledge of who Christ is, learning the knowledge of his design, the way that we are to love one another, spur one another on, the way we are to encourage one another, the way that we are to pray for one another, the way that we are to serve, the way that we are to extend grace and, and rebuke at times. Like anything and everything that we are to do for one another is a part of our pursuit of Jesus because that's what he commands us to do. In the kingdom of the beloved son, there are commands, and these commands aren't begrudging commands. These are, these are not, now that I brought you in, now that I've stolen you from this kingdom and brought you into this kingdom, now you are my slave, and I'm going to force you to do these things. No, he's brought us in from bondage and slavery to sin into the freedom of his grace. And in that freedom, in that grace, it is a grace of his to give us commands to say, if you do these things, you are going to experience the fullest life you could possibly experience on this side of glory. You're going to experience the greatest joy that you could possibly experience before coming and experiencing the joy that you will have in heaven. And so when we come into the kingdom of the beloved son, when we come into this idea of now you are to abide in me, as we talked about last week in verse four, abide in me as I abide in you, living in that kingdom and living out those commands are going to be the things that lead us into receiving the utmost satisfaction that you could ever possibly receive. There will be nothing greater that this world could offer than experiencing on a daily basis, an hourly basis, a minute-to-minute, second-by-second basis of what it means to abide in Him by walking through the commands, by living out the responsibility that He's given us as believers, by actually doing the Word rather than just hearing the Word. And this is one of those first things that we're going to be looking at today. This idea of prayer is something that is a response of ours, and not just a response, but a responsibility of ours to grow in, to learn what it looks like to pray. So that, like, one of the best ways I can say it is prayer is, prayer is something that is produced out of affections, but also enhances based on knowledge. So prayer is something that when you become a Christian, you want to talk to God. Like it's, it's just, it flows out of us. We, whenever we get in tough times, we want to reach out to God. Whenever times are good, we want to give God praise. Whenever we're talking with someone else and they're going through a situation, we want to pray for them. We, we want to extend thoughts and, and affections towards that person and say, I'm going to go talk to God about whatever it is that you're dealing with, that you're going for. We have those affections within us. We want to pray. 
And I don't think there's a person in this room who's not in the kingdom of the beloved son, who's not a Christian, who would say, I don't want to pray. So, like, I don't have to do any instruction in here on trying to get you to want to pray. Rather, I think the, the more instruction that we need is how do we pray and what do we pray for? Because let's be, let's, let's be honest. Let's be honest with one another. How many of us fall into the rut of all of our prayers on a daily basis pretty much sounding exactly the same? Right? Like we're a one-size-fits-all kind of prayer. Like whether we're praying for a service, whether we're praying for a person, whether we're praying for a meal, God, we pray that you bless this. God, we pray that you would be glorified in this. God, we pray that we would be transformed by this. Like they're very general prayers. And, and as you'll see here in a minute, general prayers are phenomenal. But often, like oftentimes we also struggle with the idea of specific prayers like actually getting down into the bare bones specifics of, of praying things. And sometimes I, I, I think the reason why we struggle with specific prayers is because either we don't know specifically what to pray for or we don't know how God specifically works. Because if we knew how God specifically works, then we would know how specifically to pray for people, right? I know God does this, so this is how I'm going to pray for you, that he would do it for you. So what we need to do, more than trying to uh, increase our affections for prayer, because I, I don't think that's the issue. I think our affections for wanting to pray more will increase the more we see how God works and responds to our prayers. Like prayer is the most underspent and underutilized wealth that we possess as believers, as Christians, it is, the, it is the access to God's entire character, entire identity, entire ability, power, omnipotence, omniscience, everything that God accesses himself. We have access to in prayer that can move in his sovereignty. And this is the mystery of prayer is that God is sovereign. God has a plan. He has a will. He knows exactly what he wants to accomplish. But yet there's still something in the people of God praying and making requests known to God that moves the provincial hand of God to do things. I have no idea how that works. I have no idea how God can already have a plan and have days and steps literally planned out well in advance, yet me today can pray for something to happen and God will do it. I don't know how that works. I don't, know, I don't have to know how that works other than knowing that it works. Because we see here in John 15, verse 7 specifically is the one that we're going to be covering today. That he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish in my name and it will be done for you. I mean, think about that. Think about that in any other type of, of uh, materialistic, physical thing. Ask for any dollar amount and I'll give it to you. Ask for any food and I'll give it to you. Ask for any relationship and I'll give it to you. 
Like the amount of wealth that he literally just said, ask whatever you wish in my name and I will give it to you. Prayer is the doorway into that relationship, into that transaction between us and God. Now, there is a specific thing that he does mention in there that provides some guidelines that lead into us having access to this wealth. It's not literally me just being able to walk up to God and say, God, would you give me a million dollars? Ask whatever you wish in my name and I will give it to you. God, give me a million dollars in the name of Jesus Christ. If God sees fit that that would be the most beneficial thing for me that would lead to his glory, that would lead to the advancement of the gospel, that would lead to making disciples, that would lead to my joy, then he might do it. But if he also sees that there are sins and flesh and, and, and areas in my life that him giving me a million dollars are going to lead me into idolatry and lead me into materialism and lead me into things that are going to destroy my life, then he would be the worst father in the world to then grant me that wish. It'd be like Ezra walking up to me like he did about an hour ago and saying, I would like your coffee. Son, I'm not giving you my coffee right now. All right? It would not be beneficial. You might enjoy the flavor of it, but it is not going to be great. It is not going to end well for you. This is going to lead to your destruction <laughs> or those around you. And so I would be a terrible father to give him what he wants right now. So instead, I give him what he needs right now for his flourishment. Same thing with the Father. Ask whatever you wish in my name, and it will be done for you. However, that is going to flow out of you abiding in me and my words abiding in you. What does he mean by words abiding in you? means that there is a design, there is a strategic framework that God has created in order for us to live in, and within those boundaries, whatever you ask in my name, I will give to you. I will bless you. We put a fence up in our backyard because we want Ezra inside that fence Kid, do whatever you want right now. We will open that back door, and you are free to run in that backyard. Whatever you ask in, my, in the name of Gibbs in the backyard, you can have it. You want to play with that ball? Play with that ball. You want to throw that water over here? Throw that water over here. Whatever you want to do, but don't go outside the fence. Because if you ask me to go outside the fence, you're going to end up going into the, the pond that's around. You're going to get hit by a car in the street. Like It would not be a good father on my part to just open up the gate and let him run freely. But within the boundaries of what I know is going to cause flourishment for you, ask whatever you wish in my name. So how that flows out for us when it comes to prayer is God has laid out for us all of the boundaries that are going to lead to our flourishment and protect us from our destruction. And it's in his word. It's Genesis to Revelation, seeing the way that God has related with his people and the way that he's provided for them and the way that he's withheld from them lead us into knowing what we should ask for and not ask for. And not only that, but it, it, it's always either going to be yes, no, or later. Like when we ask God for something, he's either going to say, absolutely. I want to give that to you right now. No, that will lead to your destruction. You're not ready for that. 
That's going to be seven degrees of glory later. <laughs> that's going to be seven moments of maturing later that you will then be able to manage that gift that I give you. Manage that whatever it is that I give you. It's why as soon as you get married, like you're, you're probably not going to have kids right off the bat. Maybe you're not ready for it. Maybe as soon as you get married, within three months you have kids. Maybe you're ready for it. Like the way in which God works things out is for his glory and for our joy and for us to live life to abundance. He's not a, a father who's up there kind of going around being like, ha ha, look, I'm withholding stuff from them. No, he is a father who wants to lavish good gifts on his children. Like the, the reality is, and I can't remember who quoted this, but the reality is, is that God wants to give us far more than what we ever ask him. We actually, we, we never ask him for more than what he actually wants to bless us with. I mean, how many times do you see it in the scripture where he literally says, you don't have because you don't ask? I'm, I want to give to you. I want to bless you. I want to do those things, but I want to be in the relationship of it. I don't want to just give you things and you enjoy my stuff. I want you to enjoy me because of the things that I'm giving you. That's why, that's why sin is, is because we enjoyed stuff more than Father. He gave to us and we said, we, we want that, not you. That's sin. That's Garden of Eden. We want your creation, not creator. And so the Father wants to give us all things. But in that, he wants us to enjoy him because of the good gifter that he is. For every gift comes from above. And the Father is the one who gives it. And so the way that I'm going to flesh this out, the rest of the sermon, is, is two ways. is just providing some practical steps for prayer. Um, these, these are kind of more the how-tos to get us thinking outside of the box of what our general prayers kind of look like. What, what are some ways that we can structure times in prayer? What, what are ways that we can kind of reorder, like reorder groupings of who we're praying for so that we're not leaving people out? Because what we, what we need is, again, not more um, of just the want and affection for prayer, although we will grow in that but more so just helping each other see how we pray and what do we pray for. And so I'll talk a little bit about how we pray, and then I'll roll into what we pray for. Um, and, and I'm excited to get to that because it's literally just going to be me reading Scripture because the way that we know what to pray for is by seeing what the first church prayed for in Scripture. And so I've got, I, don't, I didn't count it up um, and we'll flow through it pretty quickly, but about 40 passages in the New Testament that are literally us seeing what they prayed for in the early church, in the early movement, in the first century of the gospel spreading and advancing out. What they prayed for is what I want to be praying for because it's no different now than what it was there. It just looks different. So, John 15 1 through 17. We're going to read it together like we do each week. Read it together. Read it aloud. John 15, 1 through 17. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. 
And again, I'll start in, jump in there with me. Um, and I know we're a little bit of a smaller group today, but be loud and proud. All right, John 15, starting verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, then someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Father, again, we thank you so much for your word. Um, we thank you that you are a father. Um, that you are the father of us as those that you've adopted and that you've brought into your own family. And God, we know that you are a good father. You are a father who loves us unconditionally. There's nothing that, that we've done to earn your love. There's nothing that we can do to lose your love. God, you love us because it is who you are. Father, you've pursued us because of your compassion for us, because you've created us, and because you want us to experience you to the fullness. And so, God, we thank you for that. Father, we thank you for earthly fathers who represent that. And God, we thank you for men who represent that because of our earthly fathers who don't. Father, we thank you that you constantly put people in our paths to show us more about your character, that show us about your love, that show us about your kindness and your generosity. And God, as we've seen your pursuit of us, we pray that that would continue to grow our pursuit of you. As we respond to you in prayer, as we respond to you in meditation, as we respond to you in, in reading and studying your word, 
We do those things because we want to get closer to you. We want to experience more of you. We want to know you, God. We don't do those things because we're checking off a list of what it means to be a good Christian. We're doing those things because we get God. We get you. Those things reveal more to us who you are. And that's what we're after. Father, as we talk about prayer today, God, would you just continue to show and reveal to us the areas in Scripture that teach us how to have a more effective prayer life, that teach us how to have a more effective way of being able to communicate with you and to be able to listen and to be able to hear and to be able to see what you're doing around us, what you're doing in us. God, it'll show and reveal to us how we can pray for others, how we can pray for our church, how we can pray for our community, how we can pray for our family members, how we can pray for ourselves even. And God, it'll also show us how we can honor and glorify you, how we can bring praise and adoration to you. Father, how we can abide in you. So Father, as we read your word, may your words abide in us. And through that, may they lead us into the guidance that they offer and that they bring for us to be able to make requests known to you. And in that, you say yes, and we then receive fullness of joy. And so, Father, we thank you for this opportunity to pray to you. We thank you that Jesus is an intercessor for us. We thank you that he is a high priest. We thank you that he is a mediator who goes between us and you. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that when we're praying, sometimes we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And we, God, we thank you for that. We thank you that you don't leave our, our inconsistent prayers as they are, but God, your Holy Spirit takes our prayers with our new identity, takes our failed prayers with our new identity, and he transforms them into what we need to continue maturing us. God, we may pray for someone else for them to experience more of you, and we don't necessarily know what to pray for, but your Holy Spirit comes in and transforms those prayers. God, thank you for his role. Thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for this time. May it increase our communication with you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. A couple of practical things for us, uh, practical steps. These are, these are ones that I personally use. Um, and so uh, this is by no means a authoritative do this and it will go well with you. This is just some things that, that I've learned um, from, from guys in the past who, who have had strong prayer lives. Um, that was probably one of the best things for me was when I went to, as some of you have met, Ashley, my mentor, when I went to him and said, um, I feel like every time I pray, I'm praying the exact same thing, and I don't like that, and so how do I fix that? Um, and Ashley came to me and said, well, um, that's something that I struggle with as well, uh, and so I'm not going to necessarily teach you how I do things, but I'm going to send you to someone who does have a strong prayer life. And so he sent me to a guy by the name of Steve Eskew, um, who is just an older saint in our church um, back in Tennessee. And I literally, I said, Steve, when do you pray? And is it all right if I'm there? Um, and, and I was thinking that might be like a once a week kind of meeting. 
And he said, well, I pray every morning at 5 o'clock. Um, and so I pray from 5 to 7 a.m. every morning. Um, he said, you are more than welcome to join me from 5 to 7 a.m. every morning. And so I said, well, I, that's a commitment. And I've asked for this, and I want this, and so I should do it. And so I met with Steve at 5 to 7 a.m. for three months straight every day of the week. Um, and was probably, for me, the most beneficial time um, in my life for just seeing someone interact with God in a way that I've never seen anybody interact with God. Every single day was not the same way in which he prayed. Um, every day wasn't just him for two hours talking uh, there were moments where he was sitting. There were moments where he was uh, being silent. There were moments where he was just reading Scripture aloud um, because he was like, this is Scripture that's talking to God from other men, and I'm just going to reiterate what they've already said. And so I'm going to read out their prayers. Um, there were moments where he would take other people's prayer requests and then just read them out loud to God. There were moments where he would sit down and kind of in concentric circles work out. He would pray for his immediate family that's in his household, and then he would pray for his extended family that included um, his daughters and sons who were out of his household at this point, who had their own families. Uh, and then it branched out from there. He prayed for leaders in the church um, and his close relationships with people that were in the church. And it was beautiful to see myself on that list at that point as well. Um, and then from there, it branched out to his companies that he owned. Um, it, Steve's a very wealthy guy and, and has several companies. And so he would then pray for the leadership in each of those companies, the employees within those companies, and then even had a list of each of the family members of the employees in his companies. He would pray for them. And then the, the circle would then broaden out even further to new people that he was meeting on a daily basis that he was evangelizing or entering into new relationships or even new hires for his company, he then was praying for those people and even taking requests from them as well. And these were just things that, that I learned from him and over the years have kind of grouped into just a rhythm that I try to do as well to just, to just continue growing in what it looks like to pray. And so that's the first one is use a list, break it up into categories. Think about the people that are in your life and break it out from there. Just like, just like, and I've literally adopted it from Steve. I love the fact of, of kind of starting with the circle in the center is who's in my household. So I'm praying for Kelsey, Ezra, and baby number two. Praying for them. And then from there, breaking it out, praying for my in-laws, praying for my extended family, praying for my brother, praying for his children as well, and, and just finding times to do that as well. And then from there, moving out to the district church leadership, the members. And so at this point, beautifully, we're able to still have everybody on a list that I can access. Um, and so praying for everybody that's come into the district church. And then from there, it moves out to church planting networks and partner churches that we're a part of. And so making sure that I'm praying for those pastors, those leaders, the people who support our church, um, because we don't want them just praying for us, but we also want to pray for them. And then from there, it kind of spreads out to um, just, again, those kind of new contacts, people that, that I'm meeting just throughout the week. And so that's kind of one of those ways that from a person standpoint, I can actually break it into and not leave anybody out, not forget um, to pray for somebody. 
Another thing that I do is pray the word of God over these people. This will keep your prayers from being merely repetitive. Um, So like I said earlier, general prayers are fantastic, but we're terrible at specific prayers. And so incorporating scripture into who you're praying for helps you not just be merely repetitive. Lord, I pray that you just transform this person to be more like you. That's phenomenal. But let's get down deeper. Lord, I pray that you would grant this person self-control and kindness and gentleness getting into the fruit of the Spirit, getting into, God, I want to see this begin to develop more in their identity. How can I help stir that up within them? So, Lord, give me some direction on what that looks like to to come into play as well. So praying the Word of God over them. Read the Word of God first, meditate on it, pray in it, and then pray what God shows you from the Word for the people that are around you. Periodically assess your prayers for them by comparing what you pray with what the New Testament prays as well. And so not just knowing the word of God and what the identity of a new believer is, what the identity of Christ is, but also then looking at the New Testament and what the New Testament's praying for. What are those new churches praying for? What are those new believers praying for? What kind of growth in their cities, what kind of welfare in their cities are they praying for? Like, like you realize that the church is not just meant to grow people to become like Jesus. That's huge. I mean, that's a big goal that the church is meant to be. But the church is also meant to be a light within a community that causes the community to flourish. So, for example, if we had a ton of people coming into the church and meeting Jesus, yet their houses were falling apart because they're not mowing their yards, they're not doing their landscaping, they're not keeping up the maintenance of it, guess what? They're not growing in their identity in Christ because their identity in Christ causes them to be good stewards of the things that God has given them. So we steward creation. We beautify creation around us. And so we're praying for our community that it would beautify, that it would flourish, that that jobs would be created, that, that, um, that the school system, that the education would increase. Like we want to see the community grow and, and, and kind of be what I call back to Eden. Like the idea of what God is doing and redeeming us and restoring all things and making all things new again is is he's getting back to what Eden was before sin came into it. But yet there was still work there. Basically, God came in and, and what he did with Eden, he gave the decree to Adam and Eve and said, do to the rest of the world what I've done with Eden. Now, they screwed up Eden because they brought sin into it. But then God came back in and brought the gospel into the picture and said, now you have the actual source to do it. You have the actual means to to beautify it. And so pray what the New Testament's praying for, for the welfare of the city as well. Mingle general prayers and with specific prayers. A lot of people are skittish about general prayers. I Like I said, I love general prayers. Hallowed be thy name all over the world. Like the Lord's prayer is a general prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, be blessed. God, be praised. 
What does it mean that we're praising God? Specifically, what it means to praise God would be coming in and saying, God, you are good because you've sent your son to sacrifice his life for us. God, you are good because you brought life into me. You breathed life into me. You gave me lungs. You gave me eyes. You gave me, you gave me senses. You gave me relationships. Those are specific prayers, but generally we can just say, God, you are good. God, you're to be praised. You're to be adored. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's a general prayer. The entire Lord's prayer is general. Give me this day our daily bread. He's not specifically talking about bread. <laughs> yes, he can be. We need bread. We need food. We need to eat. But it's also provision. Lord, give me provision. Give me what I need in order to live this life for your glory, for my joy, and for the advancement of the gospel. So give us those, those general prayers are fantastic, but also mix them in with specific prayers. Lord, give me this day our daily bread. God, I need a job. Give me a job that would help provide that for me. God, give me X, Y, and Z. Give me whatever it is specifically that would help be whatever that daily bread is. Another one is be observant over the people around you so that you can see specifically what to pray for. So like a good friend is a person who listens and studies the other friend. Like a good friend isn't just let me share with you all the things that are going on in my life, but also let me pursue out of you the things that are going on in your life. I want to know you. I want to know your situation. I want to know your circumstance. I want to know what's going on. I want to listen to those things so that when I go to the Father and ask things for you, I want to know specifically what I'm asking. I want to know specifically what's going on. So a good friend knows and studies and pursues the other person so that as they also go back to God, they're able to then come with specific requests. So be observant over the people that are around you. And, and lastly, just practically speaking here, look for the answers. Take note of them. I think that's probably one of the ones that we leave out the most, right? We pray... And because a lot of times we pray general prayers, general prayers are harder to detect when they're actually being answered. God, I pray that you just transform this person to be more like you. That's awesome, but that's happening all the time. God, I pray that you would grant this person a little bit more self-control. Well, then you're able to start maybe seeing them act out in self-control. God, I pray that they would be a little bit more patient. Well, you're able to start seeing when someone's beginning to be more patient or more kind or more gentle, more selfless. And so look for those answers. Take note of them. Keep some kind of record, maybe in your journal or another folder, and just title it Answers. <laughs> God's answering prayers. And write those things in. Because the beauty is, is that when you get to moments in your life where where you feel like God's far, you feel like God's not going to answer, you feel like this prayer's too small, this prayer's too big, you're able to go back and just look at the history of the ways that God has come in and answered. Well, this isn't too small because he's done something smaller before. This isn't too big. This was bigger than what I'm asking for now. 
we get to see that. And one of the best ways to look at that, if, if you're thinking, well, I don't ever see God answering prayers, go to Scripture. You'll see where he answers prayers over and over and over and over again. So that's what we do. We look for answers. That's kind of the how-to. Um, and again, those are just generic how-tos. Um, the beauty is, I, figure it out. Like the how-to, there's not that many specifics in Scripture that this is the Ten Commandments on how to pray. That you have to do it. Like, like th- this isn't um, some type of like Islamic religion in which three times a day you've got to be facing east and you've got to kneel down on your knees and you've got to kiss the bricks and you've got to... Like, this isn't what you have to do in order to pray and in order for it to be an effective prayer. Like we have freedom in the how-to as long as we're doing it, we're pursuing it, we're getting involved in it, we're responding, we're abiding in his words as he's abiding in us and then we're making requests known to him. So be free. Be free to figure it out yourself on how often you're going to pray, when you're going to pray, um, and, and, and the ways in which you actually go about praying. And again, all of that will be also uh, transformed over time based on the way you see how God responds to prayer, how he answers prayers, um, and then also just what the early church prayed for. Like some of the best ways that, that's changed what I'm praying for is because of the big requests that I've seen the early church make that I thought I was being selfish to make. I'm like, well, I haven't made any request this big before. But they did. So if they did, why can't I? So it's all right. Follow into it. All right, so here's where we're going to do our little fly-through. 15 minutes-ish. Here's what they prayed for in the New Testament. This isn't all the things. This is just the list that's been compiled over kind of several years that I keep in the back of a notebook. Um, pray that God, and these should be, I think they're going to be coming up on the screen. Pray that God would exalt his name in the world. This is a general one. Matthew 6, 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We want to pray that God would be exalted in the world, all over the world. Pray that God would extend his kingdom in the world. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that the gospel would speed ahead and be honored. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1, he says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. We're praying that the gospel in Indianapolis would continue to move ahead and that it would move ahead mightily, that it would move, move ahead fast. I don't know what fast actually looks like. I'm just praying that it speeds ahead. We want to see that happen. We want to see that happen here. Pray for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. This is a combination of both Luke eleven thirteen and Ephesians three nineteen. It says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So he kind of does two things there. He talks about how those who are evil even give good gifts to their children. But how much more will the, the, the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's not just talking about creation, about giving good gifts, but he's talking about Holy Spirit. So there's this idea that we as believers, 
when we receive Christ, we also receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. However, there's still an idea of the Holy Spirit needing to grow in us, needing to increase in us. And a lot of times we don't pray for that. Like this is one of those becoming what you already are. We have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in us, yet the Holy Spirit needs to increase in us. We have the fullness of strength in us, but how many times do we pray to be strengthened? We have full faith in us, but how many times do we need our faith to be strengthened? So we need to be constantly praying for the fullness of the Holy Spirit to come into us. And we know that if evil people give good gifts, how much more does the Father want to give us the Holy Spirit? How much more does He want to increase the Holy Spirit in our lives? That's ultimately the one that really fleshes all this stuff out for us. So let's pray for that. We can't leave that one out and then just expect fruit of the Spirit to happen if the Spirit's not increasing in us. I will not increase in patience if the Holy Spirit's not increasing in me. So I need to pray for the Holy Spirit to increase in me so that I'll increase in patience. Pray that God would vindicate His people in their cause. Luke 18, 7, and it wouldn't... And will not God vindicate his elect who cry to him day and night? Who cry to him day and night? What does it mean to vindicate something? It means that you've done wrong and he's always looking at the cross and saying, I'm covering it. I'm vindicating you from it. I'm removing you from that situation. For those who come to him and for those who cry to him day and night, Lord, I'm struggling with this sin. I'm struggling with this emotion. I'm struggling with this um, resentment in me. I'm struggling with this anger. I'm struggling with whatever it is. Lord, vindicate me in this. Please take me back to the cross so that I can grow in my understanding that you've nailed it there, that you've put it to death, and that you've ultimately rose, giving me the freedom out of this. Lord, vindicate me from this. Pray that God would save unbelievers. Romans 10, 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. One of the first things that needs to happen before we ever share the gospel with someone is praying that God would save them. Just hearing the gospel doesn't save people. It's part of the process. But God saves them. God is the one who sent Jesus to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't just send us to share news in order for people to hear it. And upon hearing it, they're just magically saved. No, part of the way in which he sends Jesus to save people is us sharing the gospel so that they would hear it. But God ultimately saves them. So we're praying, God, please, please save. Create a list of those people. Be praying for them being praying for them daily. Pray that God would direct the use of the sword. Ephesians 6, 17 and 18. This is in the armor of God. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. The Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit 
with the prayer and supplication that the word of God would do what the word of God does and that's reveal Jesus. So we're praying that Jesus is being revealed by the advancing of the gospel, by the, by the sharing of the word of God, by the, by the telling other people this is what God's word says and the word of God like a sword pierces our hearts down to dividing even bone marrow. It's literally saying it's getting down to the depths of who we are as a person and it's revealing things to us. It's revealing the fact that we are sinners lost in the domain of darkness, needing a savior to bring us over to the kingdom of the beloved son. So we're praying, Lord, please do this. Pray for boldness and proclamation. This is Ephesians 6. This is also in 18 and 19 in the um, armor of God and also Acts 4, 29. Pray at all times in the spirit and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And now, Lord, look upon our threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And so there's, there's some type of deep-rooted affection that we need that causes boldness in order for us to go out and proclaim the gospel. Because what's one of the, the number one excuses that we always have for the reason why we don't share the gospel? I'm afraid. I'm scared. It freaks me out. I completely agree with you. It scares me, freaks me out. Every time, and I always feel like, especially... Airplane evangelism has become like a new thing for me. Um, it used to always be get in, put the earphones in, go to sleep. But now it's like whoever's sitting next to me is stuck with me for at least two hours. They can't go anywhere because it's against the law for them to do that. And so I literally, it's, it's, hey, what do you do? I'm a software engineer. What do you do? I'm a pastor. What kind of pastor would I be if I didn't share the good news with you? And so we're sitting here for two hours. We're going to do this, all right? And there's been a couple of people who have come to our church and have visited because I sat there for two hours and shared with them what God's doing here in Indy. That scares me to death because I have no idea this is either going to be a phenomenal two hours or for the next two hours is going to be really awkward because <laughs> I don't know what their initial response is going to be. So I've got to pray, God, give me the boldness because I'm easily going to talk myself out of this. I'm easily going to find something else to do in order to distract me because I really, like, I'm just struggling with the want to do this. Even though I know I want to do this because I want to see the gospel go out, I'm struggling with actually doing it because I'm, I'm scared to death. I'm scared of what they're going to think about me, even though they're never going to see me again, more than likely. It still, it still bothers me. So there's a boldness that they were praying for in the early church because they knew the cost that it was going to come with by them sharing the gospel. God grants us the boldness in order to overcome the fears that we have to then share this good news. And in all reality, the boldness that they needed was, God, grant me the boldness that I know when I share this good news, my head might get cut off. We're not dealing with that here. We're dealing with someone that we might offend and they might blast us on Facebook or something. Or we're dealing with someone that we might offend and they might sue us is the worst thing that they could do at this point. But we're not dealing with life and death yet. Christianity is not outlawed here. It was there. 
So for them to share the gospel, for them to share Jesus meant we're putting our life on the line. And so you talk about fear that they might have had. God, give us the boldness to proclaim this message. Pray for signs and wonders. Like God's not done with signs and wonders, right? This is Acts 4, 29 and 30, James 5, 17 and 18. Now, Lord, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. I love that story because it literally says, Elijah is no different than you and me, nature like our sinner, terrible person. Yet he prayed and it didn't rain for three months um, or three years and six months. And then he prayed for its rain and it rained. Like last time I looked in the New Testament, the only person who had that type of authority was Jesus to tell storms when to not be a storm. Yet Elijah prayed and in his prayer, God answered and provided a wonder. Let's pray some wonders. Let's just see what happens. What do we have to lose? Ask whatever you wish in my name. If it's in my guidelines, I'll do it. Sweet, let's ask. Let's see what it'll do. Pray for the healing of wounded comrades. Let them pray over him. This is James 5, 14 through 15. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. I used to hate going into hospitals because I knew I'm going to have to pray for them to be healed. But yet, I don't really know that I'm going to believe that they're actually going to be healed. That used to be the, the moment I felt the most hypocritical was when I would go into a hospital room and I would visit with someone and say, well, let me pray for you and I'm not expecting it to happen. Like, that's on me. God's completely capable. And it's in his will whether or not he prays for them. But I'm going to pray expecting God to do it because I know he's capable of doing it. And if he does or doesn't, we'll deal with that later. But going into it, let's pray with boldness that he can and that he will. And then let's see what happens. I'm going to fire through these. Pray for the casting out of demons. And he said to them in Mark 9, 29, this, can, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Pray for miraculous deliverances. Acts 12, 5 and 12, Acts 16, 25 and 26 says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. When he realized he had been freed, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying for him. Like a lot of times God's answering of prayer isn't because of anything that you did, but he's answering the prayer of someone else praying on your behalf. Like a lot of times we think I can't pray because of my unfaithfulness or I can't pray because of my own personal sin. You might be dealing with something that's going on in your life that you're struggling with, but don't let that keep you from praying for those who are around you because God might use your prayer as a response of his faithfulness to whoever that person is that you're praying for, even though you might be disconnected from him. Does that make sense? You could be terrible, like just completely disconnected and in a, in a rough spot with God, but praying something in God's faithfulness of that person, he will answer that prayer because he's in pursuit of them as well. Don't neglect praying for others. 
praying, pray for the raising of the dead. Why not, right? Acts 9.40, it's happened in Scripture. We believe Scripture is authoritative, right? We, we, we believe Scripture is true. Let's pray for it. But Peter put them all outside, knelt down and prayed, and turned to the body, and he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. This isn't Jesus at Lazarus. This isn't us. Well, that was Jesus. He just, pray, or he just called out, and Lazarus came out. No, this is Peter outside of, of a lady named Tabitha who died, and he prayed, and she came back to life. Remember the story of Paul preaching into the wee hours of the night, and the dude was sitting in the window, and, and they were up on the second story, and the dude fell out of the window and died, and Paul went down, brought him back to life, and then goes back up and continues preaching? Like, that just blows my mind. Like, it's as if, like, someone coming back from the dead was just nonchalant to Paul. Like, I'm preaching, dude falls out. I'm just, hey, you're awake again. Where was that second point, right? Like, he just continues on. Like, that blows my mind. But to them, prayer, seeing God do things like that was like, oh, it's just God being God. He, yeah, he's authoritative over death. What's the big deal? Pray that God would supply his troops with necessities. Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. Pray for strategic wisdom, James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Pray that God would establish leadership in the outposts. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. We want more leaders in the church. We want more leaders to multiply more groups. We want more of that to happen. Let's pray for that to happen. Pray that God would send people out. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. We don't want to just keep them in. We want to send them out. That's Matthew 9, 38. Pray for the success of other missionaries. Romans 15, 30 and 31. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. He's asking this. He's appealing to the Romans to pray for him for those who are in Judea. What do the Romans care about the people who are in Judea? Pray for other missionaries. Pray for unity and harmony in the ranks. John 17, 20 through 21. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Like, like that's, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus on earth praying for us, praying that we would be in him as he is in the Father. Jesus is praying that. Do you think the Father answers Jesus' prayer? Yeah. Jesus is praying that we would abide in him as he abides in the Father. That's awesome to know. I think that's one prayer that we can definitely take to the bank. <laughs> is anything that Jesus is praying for us. If you ever want to know just how can I just increase my prayer for others, just go to John 17 and see what Jesus prays for you. Pray that for others. Pray for the encouragement of togetherness. We pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Pray for a mind of discernment. 
It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be sure and blameless for the day of Christ. Pray for a knowledge of God's will, Colossians 1.9. So from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Pray to know God better. We have not ceased to pray for you to be increasing in the knowledge of God, Colossians 1.10. I have so many of these. If you want the full list, just ask me. But the beauty is, is just search the scriptures. There are prayers over and over and over and over again on every single page of people no different than you and me. There's no difference between you and Peter, you and Paul, you and John the writer of this book, the writer of the one who, who wrote what we've been studying over these last couple of months. There's no difference between us. They're sinners who have become saints because of Jesus. And they're abiding in that. They're just trusting in that. They're following in that. And they're praying about that. And let's just look at what they were praying. And let's pray those things. Let's see that continue to move in our church and let's see that continue to move out into our community and into our hearts, into our identities, into all things. Let's pray because as Jesus says, ask whatever you wish in my name and I will do it for you. Let's take him at his word and say, okay, I'm gonna start asking some things and I wanna see you do those things. So let's get after it. Let's pray. God, we thank you. God, you are you're just you're just a good father who wants to lavish his kids with love. God, all these things that we talk about in prayer we know that you want to grant to us. You desire for us to have these things. It's, you do not want to keep us from seeing you and experiencing you. And so, Father, just help us to see what we can pray for. Help us to know what we can pray for. Help us to see it in the scriptures. As we open up your word, guide us to those prayers. Guide us to those moments. God, grant us the boldness. Grant us the discipline. Grant us that affection that, that says we, we want to dig in. God, grant us the the desire to want to sacrifice things in order to provide more opportunity and room to pray to you and to talk to you. Help us to see that talking with you is greater than sleep. Help us to see that praying to you is greater than a TV show. It's greater than reading a book. Help us to see that when we don't pray, we're missing out. We're missing out on your 
your grace, your mercy, your compassion, your love, your joy. So, Father, increase our, increase our hearts, increase our minds, increase the strength, increase the Holy Spirit within us, increase our prayer. And help us to see when you're answering so that we can bring honor and praise and worship back to you so that we can come back to you and say, thank you, God, for what you've done. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at